From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. We all know the names and faces of our state's most powerful elected officials, the ones who make decisions that affect more than 39 million Californians. But who are the unelected, behind-the-scenes movers and shakers in state government and politics? We'll take a look at the top 10 most powerful unelected players in California government and politics with our guest, John Howard, the editor of Capital Weekly, that each year ranks the state's top 100 unelected power players. Who are this year's top 10 unelected movers and shakers in California politics? Funding for the Maddie Report is made possible by grants from The Wonderful Company, harvesting health and happiness around the world, California Emerging Technology Fund, and Fresno State, where bold begins. The Maddie Report is also made possible thanks to contributions from Era Energy LLC, BNSF Railway, E&J Gallo Winery, and Harris Ranch and Inn. Thank you. As well as the Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Dewey Square Group, Comcast Financial Agency, Nossiman LLP, Sagasser Watkins and Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. From the State Capitol and the Maddie Institute, this is the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. Welcome. In any state capital, there are those key power brokers who work behind the scenes to get things done. Usually, they're only known to those in the know. Our guest is John Howard, editor of Capital Weekly, the well-read publication that annually publishes the list of California's top 100 power players. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Thank you very much, Mark. It's, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, John. <laughs> so, I'm here. Crazy, crazy year, right? With, with with the pandemic. So, how has the pandemic changed the way you put this list together? Uh, well, it's changed it in two ways. One is that we typically do interviews for the top 100 in coffee shops, uh, sometimes even bars, if we're lucky. Mostly coffee shops, mostly discussions on the street, sometimes in restaurants. There's a lot of face-to-face. That didn't happen this time. I think we had one or two interviews before uh, middle of February. After that, we did none uh, face-to-face, and we did it all by phone. To the extent we could do it, we did it by phone. That's the first thing. second thing is the list has um, people showing up on the list who reflect the pandemic around us, combating the pandemic researching it, uh, offering ways to get around it, dealing with that kind of thing. So it's it's a two-edged thing. Yeah, it, it seems like, you know, a lot of new names on the list. Um, there's always a strong representation from labor and, and special uh, interest lobbyists because uh, yeah. they wield enormous influence at state capital. But I'm just wondering, you're kind of touching on it. What are the, some of the other groups that maybe had a greater showing on this year's list because of what everything is going on? Well, I think um, probably the single most important aspect of that was we had people from the inner sanctum of the horseshoe of government operations closest to the governor. And that was a working theory behind this list. The closer you are to the governor, to the executive power, uh, the more likely you'll belong on the list, regardless of of, uh, title, excuse me, regardless of that proximity to the governor, I think is um, probably the number one criterion. Clearly, as you mentioned, we have organized labor. There are lots of money groups. 
but that's kind of our starting point. It's like ripples in a pond. You know, you know it's out. interesting. It's interesting that you say that, uh, noticing that the, the governor's wife is not on the top 10. I'm, I'm just I'm just saying. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. we can, you know, <laughs> right. well, well, you know, you know, there's a lot of very influential people, very influential people that don't make the top 10, but they might be, you know, 11 through 20, sure. like the governor's wife, uh, Jennifer Seibel Newsom, who's came in at number 11. You know, you, I guess you can say there's, there's lots of reasons why she's on the list. I, I know a lot of this subjective, and this is a perfect example. Uh, when Ann Gus Brown uh, was here with Jerry Brown, Jerry Brown was governor. She clearly was an advisor and a close political cohort. She had been that way at the attorney general's office for Brown and, and continued that close relationship uh, when he was governor. And that was attested to by just about everybody who worked in the horseshoe. Jennifer Newsom, as far as we can tell, certainly obviously is close to the, is close to the governor, but not in the same way, I think, that Ann Gus Brown was, who had developed policy relationships, who had vetted, actually vetted suits, lawsuits were told when Brown was attorney general, we don't think Jennifer Newsom is quite in that close proximity to the governor politically that Ann was, and that's kind yeah, of but, no, number eleven is is no, is no slouch. Um, that's that's pretty high on the list. Um, but you've got other people there, like like Alan Zarenberg with the California Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I think it was seventeen on this year's list, and uh, Elaine Howe, who's the California State Auditor. Some very influential people um, that you'd want to know, certainly if you're involved in state politics. I, you know, I think so, too. And a lot of this really is subjective and you can interchange them. I think Mark, Mark uh, Gilarducci is at number 15. He was the OES, is the OES director. He's really playing an instrumental role in wildfires. And OES, just for our audience, OES is the Office of uh, uh, Emergency He's Services. Services. He's and busy. They, pardon? He's busy. Yes, he's very busy and probably should have been on the list last year, but mm -hmm. made a mistake. So uh, not that we make many of those, but we did. And uh, he has a very high, a very good number this year. And we think that's representative of what he does. We, we're happy with that. You know, another one you've got on the list this year, I noticed number 100, right? They used to say like in the NFL draft, uh, Mr. Irrelevant is the last person drafted. Um, wow. Number 100 is anyone, anything but irrelevant. Um, Lauren Rosenhall with Cal Matters, um, very good reporter. We've had her on the Maddie Report. Uh, and Cal Matters is an organization that's doing uh, some, we've, we've partnered with them on some things. They're doing some very impressive things. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we thought um, we have number 100 as sort of a set aside for journalists. We don't know where to put journalists on this thing. And we don't really like to uh, in the sense that we think there are other people making policy and doing it as opposed to reporting on it. Uh, we do have some journalists. George Skelton is on the list. Um, John Myers from the LA Times is on the list. Uh, but we try to set aside number 100 for a really good reporter. Uh, Carla Marinucci was there one year. Jackson Van Derbiken from the Chronicle was. Dale Kassler, I think, last year was. And now yeah, you, you've four. got some. You got some. Some. Some really good talent there. Well, up next, who are the top ten most powerful players in state government? We're talking with John Howard, the editor of Capital Weekly, who publishes an annual list of the behind-the-scenes uh, power players in California. Uh, we uh, are now reaching uh, the top ten. So here we go. Number ten is uh, Jason Elliott, the governor's uh, senior counselor for housing and homelessness who earlier was the, these are long titles, the Chief Deputy Cabinet Secretary for Executive Branch Operations. Why is he on the list? Um, regardless of the title, and as you mentioned, they have some really cumbersome titles on this list, but regardless of the title, it's the function 
uh, of the person and the proximity to the governor and the reliance by the governor on that particular person. And we've run into this before with titles um, not really being descriptive of what they do. I think I had one person uh, describe uh, Jason as the, as the governor's head man, the governor's idea guy. And it seems like whatever the governor is considering, he's in or near the decision making. That's how he was described to me. And that's really that's really why he's not number 10 on the list. Yeah. OK, so number nine is Catherine Lehman, who is uh, the governor's legislative affairs secretary. Sounds kind of important. Um, so what lands her in the top 10? You know, um, it's interesting about her is that uh, her title, her, her she's considered the general counsel of the horseshoe according to what we've been told. And so what that means is sort of takes the lead on legal action. And no, can, I, can I stop right there for a second? I think our audience may not be aware of what the horseshoe is. The horseshoe is what the inner sanctum of the, the executive offices of the governor in the state capitol, right? right? It's sort of the horseshoe shaped office suite inside the capitol where right. uh, the governor's immediate and executive staff, the state's executive staff. And right outside, and, and right outside you know where it is because it's got the bacteria bear right outside the, the governor's office, that big that big bear that people touch all the time. And <laughs> You know, in the good old days, reporters could wander through there and interview wow. people. And we thought when Jerry Brown got back, that would resume because he did it during his term. Nothing could be further from the truth. It was hermetically sealed, and st at least for me, and still has been since then. So... Um, All right. So you, you were saying, though, about, about Catherine uh, Lehman, the Legislative Affairs Secretary. Uh, yeah, she's the general counsel, sort of the top lawyer to the governor. And that entails a lot of things. One of the things she's really been concentrating on is PUC, excuse me, is PG&E and PUC, but PG&E, which has been, which has figured in litigation and issues and negotiating for months and months, finally came to some fruition, but probably be back. Yeah, one thing. When the, the next one on the list is Robbie Hunter, who heads the State Building and Construction Trades Council, which is an amalgam of about 450,000 construction workers in California. A slight move down from number five uh, last year. Uh, bottom line, very influential. I was a little surprised though, because there was a little conflict going on there between him and the governor last year, but he still made the list. Yeah, absolutely, it was conflict going on, and uh, uh, Robbie was not happy about that. I assume the governor was not happy about that either. They sort of patched it up, I think. Uh, regardless of, he's one of those examples of organized labor, in organized labor, that regardless of the proximity to the governor, the union or union group that he represents is amazingly uh, potent. And that really is the reason Robbie Hunter always has uh, a high number. He's very aggressive himself personally and very active. Yeah, they were involved with, with the gas tax uh, a, a while ago, um, very, because there was a lot of construction jobs. And uh, and won a lot of favor, I think, in state government by helping that get passed. Let me go to, to number seven on the list, uh, Angie Wee, who's uh, up from number 11 last year, another person with strong labor connections. She was uh, with the California Labor Federation for 20 years, eight years. She was chief of staff. Uh, she is, quote unquote, a special advisor to the governor. Um, so what does she do for the governor? One of the titles. <laughs> right. Uh, I, she's been described to us as the governor's political director. That may not be that accurate but it's certainly partly accurate she's a political she has political antenna for the governor and she she works on political projects and she covers politics for the governor and is active that way she's rather uh under the radar for us she's she's very quiet to those of us on the outside to those on the inside who know her probably not but she doesn't have a lot of high profile except us because we know how effective she's been for the governor and others who know that and are close to the governor say the same thing yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it seems with the labor connections, because with California Labor Federation, she'd be 
very helpful to the governor reaching out to that constituency. Uh, we're talking with Capital Weekly editor John Howard about the top 10 most powerful behind the uh, scenes players in California politics. Uh, the next three are all newcomers to the top 10. So at number six, we have Richard Figueroa, excuse me, one of the governor's top healthcare advisors. Not surprising he made that uh, list based on the uh, COVID pandemic. Right. Yep, absolutely. This is, you asked before about what are what was the effect of the pandemic on the list? And when you look at the top one, uh, the top 10 in the top 100, you really see that immediately. Richard Figueroa is a perfect example of that. Uh, Mark Galley, another one I think you'll mention in a minute or two, he also was on that list that high up and hasn't been on the list before. I think Richard might have been on it a while back, but not at this high a number. And this is directly because of the pandemic and because of the strategies the governor and the government is trying to do to deal with it. Yeah, it's, well, it's not just healthcare generally. That's been a topic that's been yeah. in the news for, for years. And now the, the COVID pandemic has just accelerated and, and accentuated that, that issue. Um, Absolutely. Well, let me, let me let me ask you. Let me ask you about uh, the next person on the list. Um, next person is uh, Maribel Batcher, the president of the California PUC Public Utilities Commission. You say she's on the hot seat. Why is she on the hot seat? Well, when uh, a couple of reasons. One, um, I think the governor felt that the administration needed to work with the PUC and fix it up a bit and overhaul it a bit, mainly because of PG&E. And I think um, Maribel Batcher is sort of a uh, all-purpose fireman. She sort of goes in when there's trouble. She's a troubleshooter. She goes in and works it out. And I think she's done that here. So she was under a lot of public scrutiny and a lot of pressure. She's the person that went into the DMV. The governor had put her there, uh, went to the DMV to reorganize it, streamline the operations. Before the pandemic, you may remember the DMV was getting all kinds of heat. Right. Uh, that was one thing she did. So she's sort of the uh, she sort of miss, misses fix it for the administration. Yeah, and they're dealing with 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 the with the PG&E issue. They're dealing with what one point nine billion dollar fine against PG&E. So she's Large, responsible for a lot. Uh, there's a lot going on with the PUC that gets coverage. Of course, I think in San Francisco, I, I guess elsewhere too. I I just don't see it as much as I used to. But the PUC is a big big player in California politics. Really needs to be watched closely. Yeah. Um, so the next one on the list uh, in number four is Mark Galley, the California's uh, California Secretary of Health and Human Services. She follows in the footsteps of, of a Valley uh, Valley girl, uh, Dinah Dooley, um, who was Jerry Brown's Secretary of HHS. Uh, great person. Um, so tell me a little bit about Mark Galley. It's you know, this is always an important post. And you mentioned because of the pandemic, it's even more important. Right. That's exactly right. And he is at ground zero of all of the reactions and responses that the government makes. He works on policies um, when it comes to opening and closing uh, facilities, schools, restaurants, you name it. Uh, he has a voice in that. Uh, so it, it, he really is at the center of a lot of things. What's amazing, as you mentioned earlier, is he comes from the outside completely, never having been on the list before. And this time is up high on the list. And we think it's totally justified. Yeah, if you look at his background, I mean, he's he's the the healthcare you know a person for the governor. His, his background, his his resume is incredibly impressive. He's got BA degrees in biology and biomedical ethics from Brown, a medical degree from Harvard, a master's degree from Harvard School of Public Health. My gosh, that guy I can't either. Was... There's several <laughs> people on this list. They make you feel so inferior. They're such young upstarts. You know, there are people there at Harvard and Yale and Brown and on the and, and his wife. I think we mentioned it in the list. His wife is a ranking health person in Los Angeles County. So 
I guess all they do is talk about health when they're home, which is yeah. I guess it must be it must be an interesting conversation. But yeah, that's that, that's a big bureaucracy though. Just to, to kind of put a fine point in it, HHS is isn't that one of the largest uh, state agencies? It is, and uh, it's one of the, I think they call them the super agencies, and it's one of the agencies has a lot under its jurisdiction. Uh, the head of HS, uh, HHS talks directly to the governor frequently, all the time, as in the case of Galley, and also by default. I believe is still like Diana Dooley was the chair of um, Covered California, which right. is the, our way of implementing the Affordable Care Act. So it's a big deal, right? And so, so they're responsible for Medi-Cal, which is a huge part of the yeah. state budget, and and that's uh, yeah, and it, no no question, no wonder why that person ended up uh, where they were on the list. We're talking with Capital Weekly editor John Howard about the top ten most powerful behind-the-scenes players in California politics, and we're closing in on number one. So holding down the third spot as the most powerful person in California politics and government for a second year in a row is Keeley Bossler, the governor's finance director. So what can you tell us about Keeley? Well, partly um, because she's the director of the Department of Finance, that's a major office, obviously, in state government. They're the ones that do vetting on everybody's budget requests throughout state government. And in the fall, every year, departments and agencies go to the Department of Finance to find out how much money they're going to have in the following in the coming year, coming fiscal year. So she's at the center of disbursement and funds and recommending financing, as well as politics, because politics plays a big role in this. So the finance director on our list is always up high. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. You, you mentioned this, um, and it's worth noting that you know, she walks into office, she's got a $21.5 billion surplus, and now she's dealing with a $54 billion deficit. A seventy-five billion dollar swing. Wow! This is what makes government a challenge. You know, <laughs> you're you're flush one week and you're flush down the next week or the next year. And uh, I don't think anybody obviously predicted that could predict that. But the combination of wildfires, pandemic, and a lot of other things have played in here. Uh, so she's really. We talked about the hot seat earlier for the PUC president. Well, the hot seat equally applies to Keely Bossler, I think. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting about state uh, state finances is they rely so heavily on high income earners and the capital gains. The stock market so far has been doing okay. So, and if the stock market tanks, California, it's they're really going to get hit. Um, yeah. So, Ray Davis's time when he had a lot of one time spending, he used because capital gains revenues went way up, and of course, right. when they went way down, we were stuck. Yeah. It's not uh, you, right, right. It's something you can count on forever. So the top two are, are familiar faces. Number two repeats as number two. It's a person who's been a fixture in state government and politics for years. She was the former finance director for Governor Brown and Governor Schwarzenegger, and someone who Governor Newsom has referred to as a quote unquote genius. Uh, her, this person is Anna Monsantos, uh, who is the uh, Governor Newsom's cabinet secretary. She oversees the executive branch state agencies chiefs, all of them, um, and acts as kind of the key advisor to the governor uh, administering the state's vast bureaucracy. No surprise that she's on the list. Yeah, no surprise at all. And it's interesting here, she used to be, she used to have the job that Keely Bossler has now. Uh, so she's very, very interested and knowledgeable about finance. As cabinet secretary, basically she runs the bureaucracy. She's the highest level bureaucratic representative in the horseshoe. At least that's how I describe her. And others may not see it that way, but she's at the top of the pyramid when it comes to the bureaucracy, uh, excuse me, bureaucracy and state operations. So she strikes me as uh, clearly needing to be on that list. And, and she's, like I said, she's been a fixture in state politics for some time. You know, 
yeah. different uh, you know administrations, Republican, Democrat. She's been around for a while. So that kind of gets us to number one. It does get us to number one. Um, and it was also last year's number one. And that's the governor's chief of staff, Anne O'Leary. Uh, why did she continue to be the most influential non-elected person in state politics? Um, I think the chief of staff, almost by default, has to be number one on our list. Now, it's true that Ann Gus Brown was not uh, chief of staff. But in effect, she performed a lot of the functions of chief of staff, I think. Um, and so the chief of staff, like Susan Kennedy was for years, uh, they're the closest to the governor. They do a combination of politics and policy. Others answer to them. She's on every important phone call with the governor and with the staff as they iron out uh, whatever needs to be ironed out that day. So it's clear that uh, that the chief of staff has, in our view, has to be number one. Yeah. We talked by the way behind the scenes. We argued about hey, should it be Ana Mata Santos or should it be Anna Leary? Uh, and we maybe one A, maybe one A and one B. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And we can find any reason to not have Anna Leary as chief as the top person. So, yeah. Well, you know, I know I noticed that there's increasing balance between men and women on this list over time. Um, until you get to the, even the top top 25. But I was wondering, yeah. what about minorities, um, you know, Hispanics, uh, African-Americans? Are they seeing more representation in the top 100? I think they're seeing a bit more. Um as far as Latinos go, and as far as women Latinos, yes, they're on the list. I think in in number, higher numbers than they ever have, have been before. A lot of that's because of labor. You have lots of labor. Uh, you have many labor leaders who are uh, Latinos and women of color. Um, I think I don't have uh, the exact number, but I think we have seven or eight African Americans on the list. It might be nine. And as a, as a piece of the population, they represent about 6%. So they're a little bit higher represented. Um, uh, we've been wrapped from the beginning. I think our biggest criticism was you don't have enough women on the list. And we think we've dealt with that, or at least trying to deal with that. We think we have fairly well. I think, um, go ahead, were you going to say No, it's just, it's just a change, changing demographics in California is being reflected yeah. in, in state government. Well, John, I want to thank you again for being part of the program. Always enjoy talking to you uh, about California's top 10. John Howard with Capital Weekly, thank you very much for joining us. So who are the most influential unelected people in Valley politics and government? Realizing that those who are the most influential have a lot to do with the issues that are getting attention, uh, we're going to focus on the Valley's changing political landscape. We're fortunate to have some insightful observers of Valley politics with us today. Robert Price with the Bakersfield Californian and KGET in Bakersfield. Paul Hurley, formerly with the Visaya Times Delta and now with the College of the Sequoias. Joe Keatner with the Fresno Bee and Brian Clark with the Modesto Bee. Welcome to all of you. So, you. Robert, we're going to start with you first. Uh, so, in Bakersfield, who are the big political donors uh, in local politics? Uh, I would have to say Barbara Grimm Marshall, who's sort of the matriarch of uh, Grimway Farms, which is the largest uh, carrot producer in the world. Uh, she's very active. She's been uh, a delegate to the Republican National Convention at least a couple of times that I know of, but her influence, her her contribution to uh, our storyline here is um, her, her uh, financial contributions, her monetary donations to Republican and conservative candidates uh, up and down from city council level to, uh, you know, she was um, a big supporter of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, so I, she, she's far and above everybody else in that respect. Okay, Paul, what about in, in Visalia? Larry, uh, no, spe no specific standout in individuals. Um, 
agriculture obviously contributes a, a lot to uh, political campaigns um, in in statewide, national, and uh, the Shannon family, the Hillman family are, are very prominent in that. It, locally, some developers, uh, people uh, such as uh, the Perches, uh, uh, Stan Simpson, uh, Harvey May, uh, and those are those have stayed pretty much the same over the last several years. So, Joe in Fresno, you've also hear about developers' influence in local politics. Is, is that true? Are, are they the big donors? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would put the developing the developers at the top of the list of uh, the uh, political donors here. Certainly, the Asimis who own uh, Granville Homes and also are big in farming and uh, have a large farming operation. Uh, the McCaffreys, for sure. Uh, they're also big political donors and have a lot of projects that are before city councils and uh, boards of supervisors. And then, of course, uh, Harris Construction and others who are in the construction building. Uh, they're all huge political donors here and are uh, kind of at the top of the list in terms of the influence. Yeah, uh, Brian, so in, in the North Valley, uh, you know, in Modesto, same thing, developers or is it are unions, the public sector unions really involved? Unions are involved, but it's changed in that uh, some of the same developer, development money is coming under different names. Uh, some would say development interests have waned a little bit since the Great Recession here. Although Mike Zagaris, uh, CEO of PMZ Real Estate, responsible for a third of all residential sales in Stanislaw County, uh, that name is big. He just moved his support from Mayor Branville, uh, the incumbent, to Rick Countryman uh, in the upcoming election. Uh, the, big he the biggest headline locally Angelbert Sarkis, who's one of two owners of a local cannabis dispensary, just contributed $100,000 to the mayoral candidacy of, of Christy IU. Wow. Um, that raised some eyebrows. Um, and, you know, we're wondering, if, is this a one-time thing or is this a sign of the cannabis industry's future impact on races around here? She apparently helped him out with an issue he had with police. She's a city council person. And he says that was the reason, uh, $100,000 in a mayoral race, uh, unheard of. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a large amount of money uh, for, for a mayoral race. Let me switch gears a little bit and talk about education. Paul, um, you know, and Vaisela Tillery, when it comes to education policy specifically, what unelected folks have the most influence? Of course, the superintendent of Vaisela Unified School District. Um, as the head of the largest school district, Second largest in the valley, I think, to Fresno Unified, and obviously largest in Tulare County. Um, it's interesting, though, that, of course, in this year, uh, a lot of the decision-making has been taken out of the hands of local people because of the pandemic. So it, it's, it's hard to say that any of them are particularly influential. What has developed is, is an unusual thing. The former superintendent of schools of Visalia Unified School District, Craig Wheaton, uh, who was assistant county superintendent and unsuccessfully ran for county to Larry County superintendent of education has actually emerged as one of the more influential people uh, in, in education policy uh, in in the in this county because he's not elected um, he's got great experience uh, and he has the ear of a lot of different groups parent groups labor groups, uh, and administrators. So I, Craig Wheaton, despite losing the last election, is actually uh, quite influential. So Joe, in, in the Fresno Clovis area, uh, 
is it the Fresno Unified Superintendent, Clovis Unified, Central Unified? Who's kind of the, the key unelected uh, point person on education policy? I think there's really two. It would be Bob Nelson at Fresno Unified. I mean, he leads the third largest school district in California, and that's quite a platform. And uh, he has been uh, at the head of that organization now for uh, a number of years. And, you know, he has quite a uh, voice in that. But I would actually put at the leader of that list in the central San Joaquin Valley, it would be Emer O'Farrell, who's the Clovis Unified School District uh, superintendent. Uh, she is uh, a, a very much a, a prominent leader in education policy in the region, and the Clovis Unified District has always been a very successful one, and that certainly continued under her leadership, and that gives her a platform uh, to speak very authoritatively about a lot of issues in, in our region. Yeah, and she's the product of, of, of Clovis Unified in the sense that she's been there for quite some time, moving up mm -hmm. through the ranks. Yeah. Uh, Brian, Brian, what about the North Valley uh, when it comes to education uh, policy? You know, the te teachers unions have a lot of sway, the PTA or PTA equivalent. Uh, Sarah Noguchi, the new, or she's been with Modesto City Schools for the last three years. Uh, she's the superintendent. There are 25 school districts in San Salvador County. So a lot of the superintendents uh, do have some power. And, and there's some would say that, you know, their ties to bond financiers also help. Ellen Jun, uh, the CSU Stanislaw president, um, not maybe direct, but she does have a lot of influence. Yeah. The education space. Yeah. Uh, so, Bob, what about down in Bakersfield? Well, Kern County has the uh, staggeringly poor educational attainment levels, and so junior colleges and colleges are going to be huge. And, and and they have stepped up in that regard. Lynette Zelazny, have a hard time saying that. President of CSU Bakersfield has done a great job of outreach to try and make uh, make college university seem accessible to students, and very much the same cases with the. Uh, um, Sonia Christian, who's the president of Bakersfield College, they have a, a rural initiative uh, project where they're reaching out to some of the smaller farm towns in the area. And you can actually, uh, there's an early college program that uh, the city of McFarland and some other cities as well uh, have established where a kid can graduate from high school and get his AA degree on the same day. And that is really opening uh, eyes to kids and making them realize, hey, I can do this. And I think that's gonna be a big, have a big impact on this part of the valley. All right, interesting. Um, so, Joe, let, let's talk about affordable housing um, as an issue uh, in, in Fresno, Clovis. Uh, who are the unelected leaders? Is it the developers? Is it policy wonks? Uh, who's, who's driving the conversation? Uh, as it is with many issues in our region, in the central San Joaquin Valley, uh, I think it goes back to developers. Uh, they are uh, have played an outsized role in the development of Fresno and the march uh, outside of the urban core and into uh, more uh, the outer fringes and certainly in now in southern Madera County. Uh, they have a huge influence uh, in issues of housing, whether it is uh, development, but also affordable housing as well. And I, I really think that they're at the top of the list uh, when it comes to that. There are also some community groups and uh, activist groups. Uh, that are fighting uh, for affordable housing issues. Uh, I would uh, point out the Leadership Council for Justice and Accountability is one of them. Uh, but uh, the developers still hold most of the cards. Uh, Brian, what about um, the North Valley? Um, is the, the Housing Authority, is, is that kind of a leader when it comes to affordable housing or is it or somebody else? Somewhat, but you know, I think the affordable housing issue has really yet to fully emerge and, and identify in Stanislaw County. Uh, you know, there hasn't been much building, but I think once that comes back, 
Uh, and you see once developers start, you know, well, we want to put, you know, multi-family rental here and there. I think you'll see some names emerge. But right now, the affordable housing in San Francisco County is, I think, probably a little behind. Okay. Um, so what about uh, in Kern County, uh, Bob? I think it's very much the same as it is uh, in the north part of the uh, valley. Um, we're still waiting to see some names emerge. There's been a lot of discussion about uh, different projects that might come in. We've got, uh, you know, nimbyism creeping into the equation, uh, as always. Um, but uh, it's still an evolving thing down here. Is the uh, Tahoe Ranch still moving forward a big project? Last I checked, they were. They talked about a, a new city in, this, in the very southern part of the county. Not quite all the way to the mountains, but um, haven't heard about that for a while. But uh, that's yeah. uh, they're ambitious. The Bakersfield is—I mean—they're increasingly becoming a suburb of of, of LA, um, and that's just going to kind of continue. So, Paul, what about uh, uh, in uh, Visalia Tulare when it comes to affordable housing? Affordable housing continues to be a fight here. It always starts out the same way. You know, we get a project, we're setting aside uh, area for affordable housing, and somewhere between the planning and the building vanishes or there's an MB problem. But the Senate is continuing uh, self-help housing, self-help enterprises in Visalia. Its leader, Tom Collishaw, is pretty much the lead in affordable housing. And, and I would say the local developers who take an interest in downtown development, people such as Harvey May, um, uh, Mike Knopf of Quad Knopf Enterprises, uh, and, and others who are interested in developing our downtown, they... Uh, they're also working to get affordable housing, mostly for seniors, mostly that is that is housing that is um, subsidized by the federal government. But it's something. Hey, hey I'm, I'm all for doing stuff for seniors. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> you should be too, Paul. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for the thanks for the dig there. <laughs> anyway, um, Brian, let's let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about ag and water policy. You know, in the North Valley, um, who is influential in that regard? Well, you know, Dee Adamo, member of the State Water Resources Control Board, she was a key player in the support of the Valley and the uh, you know, State Water Grab. So she is considered the, the voice of reason uh, for the Valley's interest. It's a Stanislaw County resident. Uh, her family has uh, does farming in Merced County. So she's probably, you know, has the biggest influencer. You know, Wayne Zipser, the executive director of the Stanislaw County Farm Bureau, uh, is a name I put out there as well. Okay. Um, so, uh, Robert, what about the South Valley uh, when it comes to ag and water policy? Well, you know, as far as water policy, I'm going to go ahead and uh, give a plug to my former colleague, uh, Lois Henry, who's been uh, a you know, journalist for a long, long time, and she knows water backwards and forwards. And I think she even serves on our little junk wall board here. Uh, yeah, we've had her in, in, the, on, in the Maddie Daily, our, our newsletter, on a regular basis. She writes a, a lot of good stuff on water. Yeah, I think I think the water boards, water districts, uh, pay attention to what she says. Um, she knows what's going on, and uh, I would I would put her name out there. No, oh, um, okay, that was that was something I didn't expect, but that's, but but a good answer, a very good answer. Um, so, um, Paul, uh, what about in yeah. Visalia, Tulare, when it comes to water and ag issues? Okay, overall ag, I think Trisha Stephen Blattler, of uh, who's director of the Farm Bureau, very influential. Um, and she does a very good job of representing farmers' interests here in the Valley, in Sacramento, and in D.C. Uh, John Guthrie of Porterville, um, a farmer, and uh, he's currently president of the Farm Bureau, also very influential. 
far as water policy, Korea Delta Water Conservation District um, is still the uh, the leader in developing policy uh, in this area. And uh, Ag Engineer Dennis Keller, um, mm -hmm. who advises the Korea Delta uh, Water Conservation District quite a lot. We put together a panel on water. Uh, we've always had him on, on, on that panel. Hey, hey, Joe, so what about in, in Fresno, Clovis, kind of the central San Joaquin Valley? When, when it comes to water and ag, who are the people that are most influential? Well, I think you have the usual suspects. You've got the Farm Bureau. You've got uh, Westlands. Obviously, Westlands being the largest water district in the country uh, has an outsized influence on water policy and is always uh, lobbying for that. Uh, you've got the Fiant uh, Water Authority. Uh, all of those are really uh, big deals. Uh, but I think uh, I would like to go back to Lois Henry. <laughs> uh, her uh, water reporting team has really unearthed a lot. In fact, uh, you know, I just today saw more uh, reporting that's original and uh, really gets down to the brass tacks of, of water in our region. And uh, she's having an influence here as well. And I know that at the B, we picked up a number of her stories and uh, she's been able to make uh, of something that's very difficult to understand, understandable and accessible to a large number of people. So I would put her on that list as well. That was a smart, smart addition. You know, I have to, she's the first double winner here for uh, most influential. Someone's going to have to tell Lois that uh, she carries a lot of weight uh, here in the Valley. Up next, we're going to talk about more key influencers. Uh, Bob, you wanted to say something briefly? Yeah, I was hoping someone here can remember the, uh, the address of her blog. She has a great, uh, well-read blog, but I can't remember what the... Uh, it's uh, sjvwater.com. We're talking with Bob Price with the Bakersfield Californian and KGET uh, in Bakersfield. Paul Hurley, formerly with the Visalia Times Delta and now with the College of the Sequoias. Jokita with the Fresno Bee and Brian Clark with the Modesto Bee about the folks who are unelected yet very influential when it comes to local politics and government here in the Valley. So uh, Bob Price, let's uh, ask you to talk about who are the people that are most influential when it comes to public safety issues in Kern County? Well, you have to go with the sheriff, you know, John Youngblood who has been there for many, many years. Um, you know, it takes a very aggressive, conservative approach. Um, it's crit critical of some of the uh, what the state has done to him and done to Kern County, I guess we could put it that way. Uh, so, I mean, he would be the, the number one guy. Um, the district attorney, um, Cynthia Zimmer, would have to be the other one. Um, elected official, uh, I guess I I, uh, I dodged the rules on that one, but he's very hard. It's hard to stay, yeah, it's hard to figure that one out when it comes to safety. Um, well, let, let me ask Paul, what about in uh, uh, Visalia, Tulare, in that area, um, when it comes to public safety issues? Well, our police chief, obviously, Jason uh, Salazar, uh, who's a very good police chief and serving Visalia very well. Um, he, we really don't have any sort of ad hoc uh, uh, or outside the lines kind of people in public safety here in Visalia, Tulare County. Um, I would say there is emerging a group that is trying to get a, a little bit more influence, uh, especially in the sort of social justice area. But I, I can really couldn't put my finger on anybody specific down here. You know, you know, Joe. Uh, you, you probably, when I've asked you this question about Fresno Clovis, you probably could have said uh, Jerry Dyer when he was police chief of Fresno. But now he's no longer he's now off limits for our discussion because he's now elected. He's now the incoming mayor of Fresno. So, um, or were you going to say that? Is he still I was going to say that, yes. Okay. Well, go ahead. Very dire. 
Well, Jerry Dyer obviously is, uh, uh, has cast quite a shadow over uh, Fresno law enforcement for you know, almost a generation uh, during his uh, near 18-year tenure as uh, police chief in Fresno. Obviously, he just got elected mayor and will be taking office. So uh, he's kind of off limits for this discussion. Uh, you know, after him, uh, I, I think there are, are a number of people who have influence. Uh, certainly, the Andy Hall, the current police chief, uh, has uh, you know been in the news uh, recently, especially during the Black Lives Matter protests. And uh, and then uh, I think after that, you've got to go to the leaders of the police unions and uh, law enforcement unions. Uh, they have uh, outsized influence and uh, and have a lot of. Uh, attention on them. And they obviously are, are uh, in the spotlight now with everything that's going on uh, with uh, the uh, defund the police movement and, uh, and the look at the police reform commission. And uh, so they have obviously have a lot of influence and also uh, cast that about in, in political circles as well through uh, campaign donations. Yeah, that, that that's very true. I mean, I, I came uh, to the Valley from the East Coast Public safety unions, strong on the East Coast, strong on the West Coast. That's kind of a constant uh, when it comes to local politics. Brian, what about uh, the, the North Valley? Well, obviously the unions are strong in Modesto, but Modesto Police Chief Galen Carroll, a very well-respected voice throughout the entire community, uh, proactive when situations arise. He's good at uh, getting out there, bringing the temperature down, talking to community leaders. You know, when the mayor balked recently of budget cuts uh, tied to the pandemic, uh, that would reduce the police force. Uh, Carol was among the city officials to tell the mayor uh, that the city just can't afford him at the time. Uh, so very well reasoned, uh, very strong voice. You know, we, we were talking during the break um, about another person you wanted to mention when it came to water issues, Mike Dunbar. Can you give us a quick, you know- Yeah, Mike, uh, Mike Dunbar, former reporter of the Modesto Bee, uh, expert on water all through the, the, the state water grab through the you know, 2016, 17, 18, uh, before he retired. Um, he uh, just produced a, a, a Modesto Irrigation District documentary until the last drop uh, and just explaining water in the valley and, and, and the fight over it. Um, very well respected. Yeah, actually, I, I, we, we did a program earlier um, uh, about that, not, not about that specific uh, thing that he did, but someone mentioned that, that that was a really good thing to look at if you want to get a better idea of water in the, in the North Valley. So I recommend yeah. that to our audience. Uh, Paul Hurley, let's hey, Mark, I just wanted to inter interject here. It's another, a little bit of cleaning up that when we were talking about education influencers, we failed to mention Dr. Joseph Castro, the president of Fresno State, and obviously um, the key education voice uh, in the Valley, representatives throughout California and the nation. You know, sometimes it's it's so obvious that you you know you forget. Well, Isn't everybody, it? everybody knows that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Paul, let me stay with you for a second. Um, you know. One of the issues, you know, in the valley is is, is diversity and inclusion. I'm just wondering, uh, who are the leaders and stewards in your community that best help build a sense of community and civic pride uh, in in Visalia and Tulare? Yeah, uh, you know, this there it's very encouraging that there are a number of young people, uh, and and not anybody who's going out there for their name or, or recognition or anything like that, but a number of young people taking the lead the leadership. Uh, both in the Black Lives Matter movement um, here in Visalia and Tulare County, but in general recognition of the need for greater attention to social justice in our area. There is one person that single out, Brian Pock, uh, who leads um, the uh, um, the Source, which is a 
LBGTQ um, drop-in center in Visalia and pretty much representing the, the interests of LGBTQ uh, personnel, uh, members, community in, in, our, in our valley, okay. in our county. Okay. Okay, Joe. Joe, what about in, in Fresno, Clovis, in, in that area? Um, who are the kind of civic leaders? Uh, maybe some dealing some uh, dealing with diversity issues and things of that nature. Well, I think when it comes to diversity issues, there have been really a rise here of social justice groups. Uh, our reporter Brianna Kalix uh, wrote a story uh, a little while back that uh, kind of uh, talked about the development of these groups, specifically the Leadership Council. And uh, they've really carried the flag forward on a lot of inclusion and diversity issues here. There's a few other people I would point out to, Dr. Francine Oputa, uh, DJ Kreiner, uh, pastor, has been uh, very vocal and also very helpful during uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, protests. Uh, Yemi Rodriguez uh, at uh, the uh, Youth uh, Leadership Institute. Uh, and then I think beyond that, you've got people like uh, former mayor Ashley Swearingen. And the whole drive initiative obviously is a huge deal to remake Fresno. Lots of money into that, the governor's behind it. Uh, so I, it would be impossible not to have this list without her name on it. Uh, she cast outside influence uh, well beyond uh, what the community foundation would normally reach through the drive initiative. Right, and that, that she spans both the public sector and the nonprofit sector having worked uh, now in both. Um, so, so Brian, what about the North Valley? Well, you know, Wendy Bird, the head of the NAACP, uh, is an influencer. So is Joe Duran, Marvin Jacobo of the City Ministry Network, and Jose Sabal of the South Modesto Partnerships, the latter three who are instrumental in helping lift the Latino community uh, in West and South Modesto, uh, looking for young leaders. Uh, they really carry that flag well. Uh, and, and to Joe's point, uh, Marianne Cannon, uh, the head of the Stanislaw Community Foundation, uh, she's really carried the banner. Uh, throughout the Stanislaw County, uh, throughout the state, uh, and, and she has uh, big influence. Yeah, very, very, uh, very impressive folks. Um, so, so Bob, um, so Kern County, who would you talk about? I would, um, I would look to uh, a young married couple, Austin Smith and his wife Anna. Austin is the son of a city council member, Bob Bob Smith, but they've been very. Uh, you know, it used to be that Bakersfield was a good place to be from, not in. And they have completely changed that thinking, or they're trying to. They're, uh, they've got this movement, I can't think of what it's called, but uh, the idea is, you know, when, when you graduate from college, wherever that might be, come back to Bakersfield, make this a better city. And they've kind of led the way. Exactly, exactly. They're coming back and they are investing in properties downtown. There are uh, a lot of uh, urban housing. Uh, also, even though he's a Fresno guy uh, with this, He's uh, a candidate to Bakersfield, and there's a lot of excitement about the new Bitwise headquarters that's going up right smack in the middle of town. I think downtown, and it's these younger people that are behind it. Yeah, well, you know, I got to tell you, I, I want to end on this because there's a lot to look forward to in the Valley. A lot of um, great leaders here already, and then some really interesting emerging leaders uh, as well. Thank you very much for the conversation. I want to thank our guest, Robert Price, with the Bakersfield Californian and K KGET. Paul Hurley, with the, uh, formerly with the Visalia Times Delta, now with the College of the Sequoias, a professor. <laughs> Joe Quito with the Fresno B and Brian Clark. Thanks to all of you for joining us. If you want to stay current with state and local politics, you can log on to our website at maddieinstitute.org. This is Mark Kepler for the Matter Report. Thanks for joining us.
The views expressed in the Maddie Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed on the Maddie Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Maddie Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.